Okay, morning everyone. Let me just briefly pray before we start. Lord Jesus, I ask that your words would be planted as seeds in our hearts this morning and that they would be flourished and be worked out in our everyday practical lives Monday and the rest of the week to come. In your name, Lord Jesus, do this, Holy Spirit. Amen. So, we live in a world, I don't know if you've noticed, where it makes sense to test things before you trust them. So you buy a new car, usually you'll want to take it for a test drive, possibly, uh, or you date someone, or maybe a few people, before you decide you want to marry them, or whatever else comes to your mind when you think about testing something first to trust its quality, to make sure it works uh, before you invest in it, before you purchase it, whatever it may be. But with God, the economy is a bit different. He invites us to place our trust in him based on his words and his promises rather than perhaps through a testing period or anything like that. It's the other way around. It's different to what perhaps we do in the flesh, in this world. He invites us to go about it an alternative way. So I just want to spend this morning looking at how he does that and how he invites us into that different way of doing things when it comes to trusting him, the, the idea of testing and how we go forward with that. But just to remind those of us who uh, either weren't here for the last part of the sermon story in Gideon, or for those who've never heard it, previously we read how the Lord commanded Gideon to tear down an altar of Baal, who was a pagan false god in those times of the judges, and the Asherah pole, uh, which was a means of demonic worship by then. They'd have a pole that they'd use to worship the pagan demonic god. Uh, and in the place of those, Gideon was commanded to install an altar to the one true and living God who we worship today. And we saw how Gideon did it, but with much fear and trembling. He was afraid to do it, but he did it nonetheless. However, he did it because he was clothed with the power of the Spirit. And we looked at what that meant for us in the here and now, in the present. How we can be clothed in the power of the Spirit in the same way. So once that happened, he mustered up his troops. He readied them for battle with courage against the Midianites and the Amalekites. And we're ready for battle at this point in the story. But before Gideon proceeds into the war, he wants to do one thing. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to read from Judges chapter 6 verses 36 to 40 and it says this. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised, look I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor, which was just a type of special floor in those days. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew. 
a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Now, what on earth, perhaps, do we do with that story? I came across it, of course, because it's the next part in our journey with Gideon. And immediately you may think, what do we do with that? How do we approach this? What's the, what's the right way of understanding it? On the one hand, we read a description of God being tested to have his word proved true, that he's already promised over Gideon. There's no explanation of God refusing this or even rebuking Gideon for doing it. But rather, God follows through with it as Gideon's requested. But on the other hand, as we're reading this, if you're like me, you may have had alarm bells going off in your mind and other scriptures reminding you, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But to trust him instead. It's interesting to remember, for any of us who've recalled what we've been looked at, looking at previously with Gideon at the start, that he's already received several signs along his journey. So if you remember, there was the sign of the angel of the Lord's miraculous presence to Gideon when he was in the wines, when he was pressing out the uh, grapes for the wine. The sign of the angel's promise that God would be with him, that he'd called Gideon as a mighty man and to proceed into battle, the Lord would be with him. The miraculous sign of the meal being consumed by fire when Gideon out of that culture's hospitality, presented the meal and the angel consumed it miraculously in the fire. And the sign previously at the last sermon we looked at of being clothed with power and having the ability to muster all the troops from the other tribes of Israel who were also fearful at that time along with Gideon, but they mustered anyway for war. And in spite of all this, Gideon, as we've just read, still asks for a sign from the Lord. He still needs reassurance. He still needs reassurance. From time to time, we all need God's reassurance. I think every one of us would agree with that. Throughout our lives, we need the Lord's reassuring hand on our lives through the things we go through in the day to day. It's good to read back in scripture the stories of God's faithfulness as we're doing with Gideon. This is one big story of the faithfulness of God, his wonderful works and his promises and signs, all of which we've got thousands of years worth of examples in the word of God to go back to. But as well as scripture, it's helpful to go back in our own experiences to take time to remind ourselves, to reflect on how God has dealt with us in our own lives and retrace the way the Lord has impacted you in your life. So I was thinking for anybody who's up for this, who can find time in their week, a little bit of a reflection exercise. Why not try this? Sit down with a cup of tea and a biscuit, perhaps with a pen and paper if that helps you. 
find somewhere comfortable, but not too comfy with the heating on so you'll fall asleep. But find some time and find a moment to think back over all the ways God has shown his faithfulness to you, his trustworthiness to you, and how he's been reliable towards you in your life. Think of the ways he's come through for you when circumstances would say differently. Or how he's helped you in various difficult situations in your life. I guarantee you, if you have eyes to see and you really look back, you will see and find those moments where he's helped you, however small or however big they may be. Now, as understandable as it is to call on the Lord for reassurance, and we're going to look at how that happens and what is a good, healthy way of doing that over the various things we may be struggling with, just to be clear from the outset, biblically clear, it is wrong to test the Lord in a spirit of doubt and of disbelief. If we come to the Father disbelieving him or completely doubting him and therefore wanting to put him to the test, then the Lord says, no, that's not the way to do it. That's not how our relationship is to be. It's wrong to do that. But the better way, the healthier way, the biblical way, the way that the Father wants us to interact with him is to still nonetheless take every opportunity we feel we need to to seek reassurances from him in a spirit of trust and confidence in God's promises. That's the difference. We're not testing God because we outright disbelieve him uh, or have outright doubts over him and his promises, but we do want reassurances from him because we trust those promises, because we believe that word, but from time to time we're weak, we're humans, we're frail and faulty, we need some help. And he's the God of all comfort and the God who will help us. Now, I've asked Kerry for permission to say this. I, I ran through the sermon with her last night and she's like, fine, that's okay. But I was trying to think of a way to perhaps explain or illustrate this. And so she's given me the go-ahead, even though she's not here. So I did say, it's all down to me now. You're not going to hear about this. So shh, only joking. So Kerry, for those who don't know, my wife, we made vows to each other on our wedding day, as did every other person who's married here. We made promises to one another. We did that in the presence of friends and family and most importantly in God's sight as witnesses. We gave each other rings as symbols of our covenant commitment to one another. We signed a marriage contract so it's literally in writing, legally binding. And then ever since then we've continued to express those promises uh, and our vows in the way we continue to live with one another. All these have been constant signs of our dedication to each other. Come along, Martha. Come up. Come and help me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're so cute. I'll pick up my daughter's raisins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so imagine I turn around and I say to Kerry, love, I know we made our vows. I know that we wear our rings. I know we've signed the certificate, which is safely in our blue box upstairs. Uh, and we live as husband and wife now in all those ways that are appropriate too. But I still want to test your love for me. I want to test just how loyal you are to me because I'm not sure I believe the vows you made to me all those times ago. <sighs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, 
Kerry's response would obviously be, I would think, I would trust, disappointment and hurt, guarantee, on the sofa for me, the night I said that. Um, what I've asked doesn't come from a place of trust. It doesn't come from a tr place of trust in her or belief in the promises she made to me those years ago. But it would more likely come from a place of insecurity, of doubt, and just a lack of faith in what she, t uh, what she promised to me all those years ago. It would be wrong and hurtful for me to do that. Now, to be honest, I am a task-orientated person. Probably, obviously, Kerry would know that the most, having uh, living, living with me, but some of you may be aware of that. I like to accomplish things and tick off the list. I'm a list guy. I make lists for things I've even already ticked off, and things I've already done. I like to make the list so I can see that I've done it. I'm that type of person. Um, uh, and as I'm, as I'm being like that, as I'm in that task-orientated, fixated mode, I can be blind to pretty much everything else. So at this, at this season in life, I'm most like that when I'm trying to get the house clean, which you can imagine uh, with two little girls. Uh, oh, I feel sorry for you who've got more kids than that. But with two little girls, the house most of the time is a tip. So I, I'm working on maintaining it. It could be the washing up, which is the bane of my life every evening, but we power on through it together. Uh, or doing some kind of life or church admin in the evening. I am blinkered. I am just focused on what I'm getting done. So Kerry rightly reminds me that just a little reassuring hug or a little reassuring stroke is all that she needs to remind her that I acknowledge her that I'm present with her and I love her even if she knows I've got stuff to be getting on with. She doesn't react to those times and they're often by testing my love or wanting to prove my faithfulness to her. She just wants a reassuring hug. We're not to test God in an attitude of doubt or disbelief, but that doesn't mean we can't seek him for the reassuring strokes. We can't seek him for the reassuring hugs, the closeness, those moments when we just need his presence and his reassurance. The quote has come to mind, actually. I love this quote. Uh, some of you may have heard of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones back in the day, a long time ago, but um, he did a book on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is brilliant, and he has this illustration where we know that our dad is our dad, and we know that we're his son, and that's fine. That's the relationship. It's established. We objectively know it. But you know what? There are just times in every little boy or little girl's life when they just need to be swooped up by their father and hugged and reminded of that embrace. And what he was saying was, it's like that with our relationship to God. He was speaking more specifically about being filled with the Spirit, but it, go, it applies to all of life. We know God's our father. We know that he's promised things for us. We know his word is there for us to read and be reminded of his faithfulness. But there are times like Gideon, can I say, when actually we just need to be swooped up into his arms and reassuringly reminded of his intimacy and his closeness to us. And he gives that to us. That's available for us to enjoy whenever we need it. Now, so, so we're not to test God, though. 
out of doubt or disbelief, but that doesn't mean we can't seek him for reassurance. God has given his words as evidence of his faithfulness. This is a primary form to be reminded of God's reassuring faithfulness. He's given us his spirit. If we're a Christian, then we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And that is a way to know and feel the reassurance of God. And he's also even given us each other. You might not always feel like that, but actually you guys are little reassurances for me. Us getting together in worship, seeing you, some of you guys at our small group midweek, those are reassurances for me. Those are encouragements for me. You are the embodiment of God in the flesh for me to be reassured of his faithfulness to me. So all of those are reassurances. And yes, from time to time, in God's mercy, because he is merciful, he may even give a further sign to remind you, as he did with Gideon, because God is that kind to us. When we're weak in our faith, God is mighty and reliable, and reliable, showing compassion to us. This whole series is to remind us that we're weak, which is healthy to remind ourselves of our position, but God is mighty, weak person, but a mighty God that we're serving. And the story of Gideon expresses that so well. In the power of the Spirit, let's strive to be strong and mature in our faith, to be able to trust God and take him at his word. Not testing God, but not so mature that we can't trust him and enjoy reassurances he gives in his mercy. You're never so mature that you don't need a reassuring stroke from the Father. Because that's just being a bit too big for your britches or big for your boots. Everyone needs that. Even even the 60-year-old man who's lost a father can still be sad that he doesn't get the reassuring strokes from his dad. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how high profile you are, doesn't matter how, you know, um, uh, level up you are in your business, whatever. Everyone still needs the comfort and the reassurance of the people they love. How much more so the God that they love and look to as their heavenly father. So sometimes in our weaknesses, we do become uncertain. It's the fact of life. We'll go through uncertain seasons. I'm sure a lot of us here today, since the news the past couple of days, this Omicron strands, whatever it's called exactly, that could put us into a little place of uncertainty there. And in the flesh, perhaps rightly so. But over and above that, God is there to reassure us. God's promises are there. He knows the plans he has for us. He is a God of sovereignty and governance. He knows the end from the future. He knew you in eternity all the way in the past. And he'll know you in eternity all the way in the future. As Debbie encouraged us last week during worship God's a God of security God's a God of protection whether it be for our flesh maybe but definitely for our souls certainly whatever happens our souls are securing God so he's 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 a God of graciousness and he speaks to us with fresh assurance as he did to Gideon God can speak to you with fresh assurance as he did with Gideon for any of us who may need it this morning. So, uh, as I asked at the start of this message, what do we do with all of this? What do we do with what the inspired writer of Judges is trying to get across in this story of Gideon? As with everything, let's look to Christ. 
for our example. Everything in scripture points back to Jesus. So what better way to find the answer than to go to Jesus himself, who is the living word of God. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness for those uh, 40 days and 40 nights and uh, the devil had his moment of temptation towards Jesus. Jesus is recorded as going through three specific temptations. Uh, One of them, the second temptation, was for Jesus to throw himself off the top of the pinnacle of the temple at that time, with Satan saying to him, if you're really the son of God, excuse me, if you're really the son of God, he will call his angels to come and rescue you, to save you from falling and dying. What was the Lord's reply though? You mustn't put God to the test. He then continues to challenge Satan's temptation and testing by recalling scripture. He says, he says the word of God, it, it, sorry, it is written, etc., etc. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So, as we go from here today, let's not test the words of God's promises and power, but instead trust in God's powerful words for us. He invites us to trust him and what he's written for us, who he's given us, which is his spirit. The greatest reassurance we can have is time spent in the words. Let me encourage you, if you're lacking reassurance, if you're experiencing troubles, whatever they may be, the best and primary place for you to receive that encouragement and reassurance is time spent in the written word of God in the scriptures. It can be hard to carve out those times. I know I do. Uh, It's got to the point where I can probably only do it during my lunch break and I'm already tired after working, but it is of immense value to prioritize the word of God, reading it, studying it, praying over it and to have that reassurance in our lives by doing so we'll be reminded of God's faithfulness to people God's faithfulness to people like Gideon which we're learning about but also God's faithfulness to Moses to Abraham God's faithfulness to Jesus himself his very son and God's faithfulness to you in this modern day and age as well. His faithfulness hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as he was faithful with all these biblical characters we read about, just as he was faithful with all those historic people since the scriptures were written we read about, he'll be faithful with you. He treats everyone the same. He shows no favoritism or partiality. Everyone struggles. Everyone needs God's reassuring strokes, reassuring hugs. Lastly, Let's look to the greatest sign we could ever receive. The death and resurrection of Jesus. If we're truly needing a sign, let's trust for God's mercy that he may give us one and give us reassurance. But over and above that, let's trust in the one true sign that was given once for all time. Jesus' death and resurrection. Remember the story of when Jesus uh, approached the Pharisees and he said, Pharisees, There's only one sign that's going to be given to you, and it's going to be the sign (laughs) of Jonah. If you remember the story of Jonah, he got swallowed by the fish, three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, and then spat back out onto dry land to proceed with God's mission. Jesus took that story, that historical story, 
uh, and he applied it to himself. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so Jesus would be in the belly of the earth, dead, dying for our sins. And just as Jonah was spat out, so Jesus would be spat out of the grave. So Jesus would come triumphantly and victoriously out of the grave. If you've got any anxiety, if you've got any doubts, if you've got any uncertainties in whatever specific situation is in your life, trust me, look to Jesus, read the Gospels afresh, go to him in prayer with thankfulness over what he's done for you, and you will be reassured, because his spirit will meet that in you and reassure you. Jesus has died for you. Jesus has died for your sins. Jesus has risen from the grave victoriously so you can join in that victory. So you can rise from the dead on the last day as well. And it's coming. The last day is coming. The judgment day is coming. Let's have faith. Let's have trust. Let's have reassurance that we're in Christ and we'll meet him face to face to be with him with all meaning, with all purpose, with all joy and happiness and delights forevermore. So look to Jesus, folks. Look to Jesus over and above it all. Hopefully, I believe, we're going to be doing communion in some way, shape or form uh, at the end of our time together, which we've just started introducing. But take that as an opportunity. Communion's a sign. Communion's a bit of reassurance. Uh, In in history, it was called uh, a means of grace, AKA, it was an opportunity to receive the grace of God. It was an opportunity to be reminded of the grace of God because the cup is the uh, blood of Christ as we remember it. We look to it as the blood of Christ and the bread symbolizes his body. So let's do that in communion, however we do it later. Let's remember Jesus and be reassured over what he's done for us. So if you're anxious today, just in conclusion, or you have doubts or just struggling with confidence in God, Avoid testing him, but go to him in his words to be reminded of his good news and reassured of his faithfulness to you because he is faithful to you and will always be faithful to you. Amen.